Millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom, like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, right? For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds, and I'm here with Keith, co-star of my upcoming film, If, only in theaters May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news... All right, I'll do. It. Sign up now and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. Mintmobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45 equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply if rated PG. The Late Lunch with Blackstone Motors. You don't have to break the bank to buy quality. The Renault Selection used car event is on from the 1st until the 5th of October with special APR offers, two years warranty, and two years roadside assistance on all quality used cars. T's and C's apply. Hello there, good afternoon and welcome along to Late Lunch with me, Joan Larkin, sitting in today and indeed tomorrow for Jerry. We have a packed show as usual, so I hope you can stay with us. And as always, the number to text or WhatsApp us is 086-1800-658. We do love to get all your comments and questions. Now, kicking off the show this afternoon is an issue that just doesn't seem to go away, and that's the high costs of childcare. Now, the story made the headlines again with new figures showing a 4% rise in costs again again since last year. Now, Mary Daly, who runs 10 community crashes across Mead, says the insurance is pushing these rates up and is crippling the industry. And Mary joins me now on the line. How are you, Mary? Hello, Joan. How are you? I'm great, thanks. Mary, you're the, the CEO of the Cran Support Group. Tell That's us a little correct. bit about the group, will you, and, and what it offers? Well, the Cran Support Group is an innovative organisation that um, came together to support community groups. So we would look after the, all the administration work on behalf of our members. Uh, and all our members are individual companies. Uh, so we'd look after all the main HR, uh, finances, advocating on their behalf, all of that. And how many crashes do you run, Mary? Um, we, I'd be responsible for nine in Mead and then two in Dublin. Wow, that's a huge responsibility. It is, but I have a great team around me, so... Not just me, there's a team of us. Of course, yeah. So tell us a little bit about childcare nowadays. What's the average cost of childcare? Well, I suppose I can only speak for ourselves, and I suppose here in Mead, within my own uh, organisation, it's €170 a week, and that's Mm. from opening to closing. Now, obviously, there's part time, there's session, there's all breakdowns in between that. Um, But I suppose that, you know, there's several reasons why childcare costs are so high in Ireland. Um, and and one of the main reasons would be the lack of investment by the government. Now, I know the minister would have done a lot of investment over the last number of years, but a lot of that investment went into the second preschool year. It didn't actually look at the cost, the unit cost of running a service um, and their overheads. Mm-hmm. And if you look at insurance for ourselves, we would spend anything between eighty and 100000 a year on insurance. My goodness, that's an insane amount of money for insurance. Yes, absolutely. And it just keeps increasing. 
um, and it never goes away. And obviously, we have to have it. Of course, you do. Uh, not, you know. So, and then you, you know, it is insane. And then if there's an accident and it's on the books and it's, you know, it never goes anywhere, but it doesn't go away either. It sits there. Um, so that puts your insurance up. And of course, you have what three hundred and thirty staff. I, yes, I would be responsible for three hundred and thirty staff. So yes. those people have to be paid as well. And of, of course, Absolutely. it's not the the wages given to these staff that that's driving the costs up, is it, no, Mary? It isn't. Absolutely not. I mean, the wages given to ch- uh, people working directly with children is an embarrassment at this stage. Um, you know, they're paid very, very little. Can you tell us they, what the average pay is? Well, I, per I'd hour, say, are they paid on the an hourly basis? Pay, I'd say the average pay would be probably in around the ten sixty-five an hour. Good uh, lord! Now then, that all changes depending on the qualifications, and I suppose the department are shouting for higher qualifications, which there is no problem in that, um, and they're shouting for degrees. But can you imagine spending four years in the college mm. to get your degree and yeah. then be offered ten eighty? An yeah, hour. I can just imagine the, so the reaction, there, yeah. Yeah, there are people actually training up and doing their degree, but they're not coming into the sector because the pay is so bad. I mean, the other thing is the ratios, which I don't disagree with. Um, the ratios for the children, if you were in a nursery, you have one adult per three children. Um, and then if you have four children, you must have two adults. Now, in principle, I agree with all of that. But that's where the costs go up because you have to pay those salaries. Of course you do. You know? So you have to have, for so if you have three babies, that's one staff member. Uh, if you have yes. four, you have to have two. Two, and exactly. so on, and so on. Um, so you have that. You then also have trying to keep the place equipped. You know, toys get broken on a regular mm. basis. So mm. every year you would be spending approximately five thousand a year on upgrading. Of the course, the, and yeah. it could be a lot more if you decide to. Uh, you know, to develop some area that costs more money. Then you have you, your utility bills on top of all of that. And in nowhere have we ever mentioned quality yet. Exactly. And the staff that are working there, you say, are, are they if they're are they leaving because of the pay and, well, and the stress of working with with children? Working with children, Mary, is not easy. No, it's not. You know, absolutely not. and you no, need to be paid well. Uh, you know, you need yes. to be paid well to stay in in yes, in the yes, job. Yes. I mean, people working in childcare, um, and we have people working for 10, 15 years in the, with us, right? They're people with a vocation. They're not in it for the money. They're in it because they love doing what they're doing. Yeah. Um, and again, the government depends on that. However, there was a research done and uh, launched last Thursday by SIP2, and it showed a staggering 50% of the workforce are actively looking for other jobs. And others have said that if things don't change in the next five years, they'll be gone out of it. So childcare actually is facing a crisis at the moment. And I'm, I suppose we it's diverting from the crisis by putting out all these figures last week by the minister regarding, you know, the high cost of childcare. We all know that. We know it's far too high on parents. As a grandparents with grandchildren accessing childcare, I see the strategies of my own daughters. Um, so nobody would argue with that. I was going to say that to you. Do you are, parents must be just constantly worried about the cost of childcare. I'm sure they, they absolutely are. I mean, I think we we increased our fees, fees once in about 10 years. Mm. Um, and everybody is trying their best not to pass it on. And we cannot give staff extra money because we cannot put it on the burden on parents to pay. 
we can't ask parents to pay any more money. It's as simple as that because it's a second mortgage around their head. We all understand that. And, it, it, you know, if you look at pe- people working in the childcare, working in it, and they can't afford to send, to have children because they can't afford to send their children to childcare. Oh, that's just, that's just crazy. And that is actually the reality of what's happening. It is, of course. And so parents must be just constantly worried. Do, do you think it forces them down another path then? Is there unregulated childcare out there and, and people are maybe being pushed down that road? Well, I mean, there's childminders out there and there's a place for childminders. I mm. was a childminder before I came back to work. Um, so therefore, I would say there's absolutely a, a place for childminders. But childminders are people that should look after one or two children, not 10 or 12 children, because then they become a mini crash. Um, but there's room for everybody if it's regulated. Of course. That's I, wouldn't like to see, I wouldn't like to see childminding regulated so tightly that you take away the whole ethos of what childminding is about, and that's a home from home for children. Um, so there is room for everybody out there. But I think people are just putting up with stuff because they don't have anywhere else to go or no other nowhere to turn. I know when I know friends of my own would be working just to pay the crash. Absolutely. It just seems to be completely crazy at the moment. But tell me I about have, I have actually got a staff member who after paying for childcare brings home twenty euro a week. Is it worth that? Is it you have to question that really, is it And that's that is fact. She told me that herself. But she loves working. Yeah. She works part-time. She loves it. And that's why she does it. Yeah. T- tell me something. Tell me about Norway. You were spent a bit of time in Norway. Well, and t- tell me gone, how they handle it there. I would have gone to do some research in Norway. We run outdoor preschools, um, which the children are out the whole time for three hours. Even in this rain, they're outside in their gear. So they don't come inside at all. So that would have been my purpose for being in Norway to look at that. But while we were there, we looked at the structure that was there. And... With our equivalent to our county councils, they actually would come uh, to a service. You said, this is what it costs me to run this service for the year. They pay that money. And then the parents pay the council a very small amount of money. I, I think it was 30 euro yeah. at the time. Now, that's a few years ago. But it's something very, very small. So the services didn't have to go looking for money. It, the unit cost, all of that was taken into consideration. And then that's the councils gave the money to the services to run, obviously supported by the government. Um, Maybe we should look at a similar model here then, Mary. Do you think it would work? Because something has to change. We have to do something. We have to look at a model, uh, one that works, because at the moment we're just throwing money, good money after bad, uh, because it's not, it's going in, okay, it's it's giving some um, assistance to parents. But it's actually not helping the cost of childcare because the cost of childcare and the running of it and there's no money coming into the system for the staff to be paid properly. Mm. You have nobody talking about quality. We have uh, and Ashtha. There are national standards. They're not even been, you know, they're not even been pushed. Nobody is putting money out there for people mm. to implement them. So it is in a crisis. And it isn't getting any better. And there's a new scheme coming in, um, new scheme coming in, which will be good for parents, some parents, but disadvantaged children because they're going to incorporate the hours they allow them. So if they're, if they're allowed, we'll say 20 hours a week, those hours are going to be incorporated in their school hours. All right. So okay. therefore, they're not yeah. entitled to after school at all, not taking into consideration 
people with literacy problems at home, English not being mm-hmm. the first language, children that, that get their dinner here um, and they go home fed and watered and the homework done. If they have, if they are in the system, as with social workers and all of those other agencies, then they can refer them. But the people who are trying to stay out of that system, they're the forgotten people. Well, Mary, as you say, there is a crisis and something does have to change. But Mary, you're the CEO of the Crown Support Group and thanks a million for chatting to us on Late Lunch. And best of luck in the future. Thank you. Bye-bye. The Late Lunch with Blackstone Motors used car event from the 1st till the 5th of October. Get a finance package that suits your needs on a quality approved Renault or Dacia. With a low deposit and low monthly payments, you could arrive and drive today at Blackstone Motors. Welcome back to Late Lunch this afternoon. As usual, the number is 0861800658 for your text and WhatsApp comments. Now, I love this story. I absolutely love it. You know, those annoying emails we all receive from time to time asking for your bank details because you've inherited a fortune. Or maybe your cousin is stranded in a bandit country and looking for money to get home. Well, over the weekend, a young fellow called Ross Walsh became a legend when it was revealed that he managed to scam one of these scammers. And he's on the line now. How are you, Ross? Well, how's it going? Ross, are you Walsh or Welch? Uh, I'm, I'm from Kilkenny, so it's Walsh, but I'd be known as Ross Welch back home. Like. Oh, right, so okay. It's a bit of old. Oh, we were having this debate in the office whether yeah. down, that neck of the woods is Walsh or Welch. Okay, so you're you're a student in Limerick and you're a well-known yeah. DJ as well, of course, as we know. What are you studying, Ross? I'm studying technology management for the uh, business engineering course. Oh, so right, okay. Okay, but you're in, in demand for a different reason now the past couple of days. Oh, I am indeed, yeah. Good luck, you have to tell us from the beginning, because these scams are everywhere. Your email oh, spam box is full of them. So tell us what happened. So basically, I kind of got the idea from, there's these two UK comedians that do it. So what they'll do is they'll, um, they'll reply to a scammer just so that they um, waste the scammer's time so they don't scam anyone else. So I thought this is a brilliant idea, because I get a lot of scam emails myself and I thought um, I'm going to try that but I'm going to go one step more and see can I reverse the table on the scammer and kind of give him a taste of his own medicine <laughs> right okay so I uh, I got um, an email off this lad called Solomon Gundy <laughs> and, uh, <laughs> for a start like that name <laughs> uh, what was he thinking oh go on Rust and he and he, um, <laughs> he was looking for a thousand euro for uh, an investment into his company and he promised uh, Give me half of his company, and um, he was saying to me that he <laughs> he made thirty five thousand euro last week, and he was then saying, "Why do I need a thousand euro when I have thirty five thousand euro?" You may ask. Um, <laughs> he was saying then, uh, "My um, knowledge comes at a small fee, which I think is fair." White House is brilliant. This lad is absolutely lula for the birds. I'm going to have a bit of fun with him. Ross, can I just stop you for one sec? Because the line is terrible. I'm finding it very, very hard to understand you. Are you just just move your phone a little, maybe a bit too close to it or something? So yeah, yeah, okay. So just tell us. So your man, anyway, you got the email. Just tell us again what he was looking for. How much? Oh, he was looking for one thousand euro, and in return for half his company. And then he was (laughs) going on to say that um, he made thirty five thousand euro last week, and he then went on to say why. Why is he looking for an investment of one thousand when he made thirty five thousand euro? He was saying he wants to train a young entrepreneur <laughs> to be like him, make a load of money, and it can comes at a small price, which is fair. That's true. I, I replied to him thinking, "This is brilliant. This is for the birds. 
I replied saying, Solomon, this is brilliant. I was looking for someone to go into business with. And I said to him, $1,000 was an insult to me. I want to do things big. So I said to him, I'll do 50000 instead. <laughs> and uh, <laughs> I doctored up a picture to him of a, a transaction of 50000 You know, it was a fake, like it was fake, like it wasn't real. So, so you sent him a fake receipt for fifty grand, and yeah. saying uh, ten, uh, you saying one grand, that's nothing. Uh, let's let's up the odds exactly. here. Exactly. <laughs> yeah. And he fell for it. He fell for it. So he he replied to me. He's like, "Oh, Ross, this is brilliant. Uh, the money hasn't transferred. Is there a problem? I'm eager to get into business with you." And I was, <laughs> I replied to him straight away. He's like, "Oh, Solomon, don't worry. The money's on its way. There's just been a small hold up. The problem is the bank think that this could be a scam, and I know this is a scam because we're business partners." <laughs> um, to to prove this isn't a scam, um, the bank need to see a small sum of money go from your account to mine because fifty thousand euro seems very fraudulent to them. So that they fraud my assets. So to unfreeze it, they need to see a small sum go from his to mine, and that's why I got twenty five euro off him. <laughs> so you scammed him. You took money from him. I did, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> that is just brilliant. But but, but I donate I donated the money to charity just to do some good with the money. Yeah. So has he been in contact with you since? No, the email the email just vanished, everything just poof. It went up straight away. When I sent him the receipt of the donation, his email just it, it was like it was terminated or something. I don't even know what happened. And what about his bank account? Can can that be traced? That was only PayPal, so that was through the uh, email. So is there no way of tracing PayPal? I couldn't tell you. I don't yeah. want to find out. If I'm honest. Yeah, and did you report this to the Gardaí? I I did because if I if I rang up the guard, um, if I said oh, I'm I'm getting scammed here by <laughs> Solomon Gundy from uh, India, they, I think they have more better things to be doing with their time. Yeah, I know, and I'm sure they get loads of calls like that because it's happening yeah. all the time. Oh, I'm a Nigerian prince. I'm a lovely looking girl. I want to come be with you. It's everywhere. I think. It's not a good act at all. But Ross, this isn't the first time you've done this. You, you've outscammed a scammer before. I don't know if you uh, Ross, whatever I, you're doing with that phone, will you just hold it steady there like a good man for me? <laughs> you're fading in and out for me and this is too good a story to lose. So. <laughs> sorry, sorry. Now you're perfect, so don't move, right? <laughs> <laughs> so tell me about one of the last times. Give us another scale. What else did you do? So the the first time I did it was a very similar kind of proposal. It was again a businessman looking for an investment into his company, and it was nearly par for par the exact same story. Like just instead of twenty five, I got five euro off him the last time, which I donated into charity again. It's just it's 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 nearly the exact same thing. Like, but they're yeah. all scammers and they're all falling for the exact same page. Like. And is it always email that they always email you? Because always email. Yeah. You haven't had one of those famous phone calls yet. Not yet, no, and I hope I don't get on either. I know, yeah. I was telling um, Louise in the office that I was in a in an Uber cab in London last year with my sisters and the cab driver kept getting these calls. The whole time he kept getting these yeah. calls and he was getting really, really annoyed. So it was on speaker, obviously, and I said, look, the next time he rings, put me on to him. And um, <laughs> I was in the front of the taxi. So uh, I, I can tell you, I put on, I put on the thickest... West of Ireland accent because I'm from Galway <laughs> that uh, you could ever imagine and I told him that the man he was looking for was gone below after looking for sheep or something and <laughs> we had the best laugh my sisters recorded it and it was the best laugh ever because your man was getting so annoyed with me and yeah. I just kept up this country woman accent looking for sheep and the whole lot it was really it was one way of getting rid of him I don't think he rang him back again but, but even even it's a great way to kind of like I think like 
the real reason I did it was I, I thought it was brilliant that I was wasting his time so that he didn't prey on someone who was more vulnerable say like an elderly person who might be on yeah. scheme and I might see this get quick rich kind of scheme I'd just be lying over someone who would see that and kind of fall for even though it was kind of very bold is what he was saying but there are some people now that might just kind of see that and be but your people would be vulnerable, especially older people and people that aren't exactly, maybe, right. you know, that aren't really that used to the internet and just getting used to exactly. it and used to emails and everything like that. I mean, it's just, it's grown so much in the last few years, hasn't it? These scams, oh, they're everywhere. It's, it's, it's madness, like, and it's just, I, 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 love, I love the fact like, that I was able to waste his time and have a bit of fun and then to do some good with the money, it was just it was brilliant. Like. And if it happens again, Ross, will you go bigger the next time? I think I I don't know if I'll go back again. I think I think third time look third time the charm now. The stories after growing legs now it's kind of huge. <laughs> it's nearly it's nearly kind of kind of what's the word? It's nearly um what's the word I'm trying to think of? It's um kind of blocking college is small, but I'm do I'm in college in US and today like I've been on the phone nonstop. Like. You've become famous now for this, you see. Oh, that's what. <laughs> You're probably meant to be studying. What year are you in, Ross? I'm in third year. Oh, you're supposed to be getting down to brass tacks now I'm, at this stage, aren't you? I'm actually real down, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Come here. It's a brilliant story. It's a fantastic story. And it's worth all the airtime, worth all the phone calls that you're getting today. So thanks a million, Ross. Thanks it's brilliant. And, and, and it's a warning to everybody out there. You know, just 100%. beware of these scammers. You know, they're, they're everywhere. Fair play to you. Brilliant story. Oh, thanks, Ross. Ross. It's been an education. <laughs> Take care. Bye-bye. Thank you. Take Bye-bye. The Late Lunch with Blackstone Motors. You don't have to break the bank to buy quality. The Renault Selection used car event is on from the 1st until the 5th of October with special APR offers, two years warranty and two years roadside assistance on all quality used cars. T's and C's apply. Welcome back to Late Lunch. As usual, the number you can text or WhatsApp us on 086-1800-658. And we do love getting all your comments and your questions. Now, we're going to talk a bit about anxiety, social media, all of the stuff attached to that. And the partner of a young mum who suffers from crippling anxiety attacks has revealed to us just how hard it is for loved ones to look on and feel helpless. Rory Smith has also urged people to try to post normal pictures of themselves on social media in the hope that people realise that most of the pictures that we do see do not reflect people's real lives. And Rory joins me on the line now. How are you, Rory? Hi, Joan. Thanks for having me. Not at all. It's a pleasure. Your fiancé is Safra. That's right, yeah. What a beautiful name. First time I've ever heard it. Yeah, it's an unusual one, all right. Gorgeous but, uh, name, gorgeous I've, name. I've yet to hear it on another person since. Yeah, terrible though when it comes to buying things with your names on it, you know, on little little uh, magnets and stuff like that in the shops. You'll never be able to find them probably. Well, yeah, let's just say we get used to spelling it out a lot. Yeah, exactly. How's she doing? She's doing good. She's doing good. Um, we take one day at a time and put one foot in front of the other, you know. So she suffers from, is it anxiety, panic attacks? What what happens to her, Rory? She, she has suffered from all the above, John. So um, I suppose the history goes back to after our firstborn, who's now almost four years of age. She suffered with a postnatal depression after our daughter, Lexi, was born. Um, now, what she, what she suffered with more recently was a little bit different to that. So she had, you know, seen the doctors for the postnatal depression. Mm-hmm. She was on medication. And what she found in that circumstance was the most beneficial for her was counselling. So she went to counselling for a number of weeks and months and she found that got her through and eventually she came out to the side. Uh-huh. Now, the most recent case was uh, more anxiety and, and health anxiety. 
where throughout the pregnancy with our newborn son, Corey, she was suffering with kind of severe heart palpitations, um, you know, spells of dizziness. A lot of worry then that the heart palpitations were um, maybe an underlying heart condition and all this starts going through her head and that in itself was making the anxiety worse and the anxiety then was making the heart palpitations worse and it was like this vicious cycle of... Uh, the mind affecting the body and the body affecting the mind. Of course, the mind is a powerful, powerful organ. And of course, it does trigger. You, you can you can convince yourself of anything, Rory. And Absolutely. I mean, was Safra having palpitations or was she having anxiety causing what she thought were palpitations? Well, I think a bit of both. So I guess it all started, um, you know, a couple of months into the pregnancy, Safra was suffering with extreme nosebleeds, which isn't really uncommon during pregnancies no. with the, the high volume of blood that people hold. But um, Safra, I should mention, also has a, um, a bleeding disorder where her blood is slightly thinner. Again, nothing to worry about from a medical point of view. But with these nosebleeds, then it did look like quite a lot of blood. And that was, you know, mm-hmm. getting her starting to worry about, am I losing too much blood? Is the baby OK? And this started bringing on the heart palpitations and the worry and the stress and everything that goes with it. And I think it's all stemmed from there. And so, yeah, so you had you had your little son, Corey. And, and what happened at the christening? That, that was a big thing. What happened? Well, the Christmas sort of since, you know, since throughout the whole pregnancy and, and after the birth, we kind of expected maybe that these heart palpitations might go away. We had hoped more so, um, which they didn't. So she was getting them on and off all the time. Um, at the Christmas, you know, we had a fantastic day. The family was from Mayo originally, so all the family was over and her family was there. We had close friends. We had usual dinner drinks, watched all our final, got great pictures. Everything was great. Um, we had planned to go for a few drinks that night, but when we got home that evening, maybe eight, nine o'clock, I was just seeing her face, something wasn't right, and she was having, you know, these panic attacks and anxiety mm. attacks, and her heart was jumping over her chest. So we kind of, you know, tried to talk around and tell her everything's going to be okay. Um, and the following morning then, you know, more of the same, and even worse, to the point where I just said, right, let's get you into the doctor, we'll take it to A&E. Right. Get everything checked. Just, it was... I, I knew deep down that medically and, and physiologically everything was okay, but mentally it was the anxiety bringing on these heart palpitations. So no. has she been actually diagnosed with severe anxiety? Yeah, yeah. And is she yeah, on medication she, for it now? She had originally been to the doctor maybe one week previous to this. So a so right. week or eight, nine days before the christening, she had seen the doctor, she went to her GP and she wrote a post herself for social media from the waiting room of the GP's. And where she said she's suffering with these anxiety attacks and, you know, how much it was it was putting her lifestyle out. A doctor did put her on some Prozac, which was fine, and we are kind of waiting for that to kick in. But that, that particular morning, less than, you know, 12 hours after we got home from the christening, it was that bad that we went straight to A&E in Navanhair. Um, more so to get the heart checked and make yeah. sure everything was OK medically. And Rory, when she does get that reassurance, I have I have some knowledge myself of anxiety attacks. And, and when she does get reassured by the doctors, does she believe them? Does she take it then that, OK, I'm grand and relax? Well, it, it's, it's hard to say exactly. We had seen a doctor during the pregnancy. We had seen a cardiologist who had reassured her that everything was fine. And you know that would work kind of in the short term. But then as these symptoms kept presenting themselves, you know, there's that just seed of doubt gets put yeah. in her mind like maybe everything isn't okay now again it's, it's easy for someone else to say on the outside like that it's just the anxiety you know don't worry about it the doctor told you you're fine but when you're going through that yourself and you're feeling these physical symptoms it's very hard not to worry that you know something might have been missed so when yeah. we get into the A&E on the Sunday following the christening I spoke to the doctor and I said can we you know can you break down 
exactly what it is you're looking for in these heart and these uh, heart tests and the ECGs, the blood tests. And, you know, if there was any cardiac damage whatsoever, it would have show up. So the doctor was fantastic and talked us through all that and, and really reassured her that from, again, a physiological point of view, your health is intact and your heart is perfect. And she believes them, does she? Yeah, she She'll does. relax. Okay, she yeah, because that's, that's a big part. I know somebody who's very close to me suffers anxiety and it doesn't matter what the doctor says. They don't. Yeah, and, and again, sometimes, you know, words words just fly straight over your head and yeah. you feel like other people don't understand. So, um, yeah, I think this time it hit home with her that medically everything is okay and it was more, um, you know, a psychological and a mental approach that we need to take. Yeah, so tell me a bit about the post on Facebook. It's been seen thousands and thousands of times and you must be getting feedback from it. So what was it that Safra put on Facebook exactly for people who haven't seen it? So Safa had originally put a post maybe one week prior to the christening. And the day after the christening, I, with her permission, I wrote a post. So we had a picture of our family, me, Safra and the two kids, smiling at, at the altar of the church and everything looked great. Um, and that picture had been sort of posted on the day. But then less than 24 hours later, she's sitting on a hospital trolley. So I did a side by side of the two pictures. Okay. And one obviously where it's perfect, happy families, everything looks fantastic. And the side by side picture then was her in absolute turmoil, um, head down, tears in her eyes, sitting in a hospital trolley in any way to get seen. And what role does social media play in, in anxiety attacks, do you think, Rory? For people out there, I mean, we look, we all look at our Instagram and Facebook and sure, everybody's life is perfect on there, isn't it? Well, yeah, and that's exactly what I wanted to highlight with that post, Joan. Um, I was showing the, the side by side and usually we look at social media and I think the statistics show that we spend two to three hours per day scrolling through our phones. And that's two to three hours every day that we're looking at the highlights of people's lives and we're looking at their best bits and we're looking at the picture, you know, of the christening and not the picture of the hospital trolley. And what we do then is we start comparing ourselves to someone else's highlight reel and we start thinking to ourselves, well, you know, why am I not this happy? This person is always unhappy and they're, they're on holidays and they're smiling and they've yeah. got the perfect family life and perfect relationship with their husband or wife. And we start comparing ourselves to that and then, you know, we start finding we're not as happy as, as what we're seeing on social media and it makes us feel internally bad. And should that heightens it then? That heightens people's fears and anxiety and, you know, what's wrong with my life? Why am I as good as that? And, you know, why don't I have a life like that? So that's going to heighten things. Like, what do you do to combat that? I, I, well, what do you think, Rory? I mean, should people just stop posting these perfect um, pictures on Instagram? Should we stop using filters? Because it seems everybody uses filters. Nobody is real anymore. Yeah, well, um Absolutely, I couldn't agree more. No one is real anymore, and it's, it's come to the stage now where one of those people getting dates on Tinder and they go to meet their date and <laughs> they look like a completely different person. They don't recognise them. Absolutely, but um, yeah, I think we're we're starting to go in the right direction, Joan. Um, definitely, just to be a little bit more real on social media. Like, I guess why people want to post their best bits and that's fine, but it's okay to show the other side too. And I wanted to show that with the post that I put up the day after the christening, and um, but. You know, what really hit me was the response. So almost 50,000 views on it and nearly 300 shares, but dozens and dozens of messages of people responding, saying that the post really spoke to them and gave them the little bit of strength and courage they needed to come out and say how they were feeling to their loved ones. Or, you know, one girl in particular screenshotted a Facebook post she wrote saying how she wasn't doing quite so well as she was letting on. Um, So just the, the the positive... feedback we got from the post is absolutely incredible and it was just 100% honesty. And you know what, you're a fitness instructor, is that right? 
Yeah, I have a gym here in, in Nav and Call Fit Life Studios and um, I guess the reason I'm so big on mental health, um, aside from the fact that it's so close to home for me, but when I first opened the studio in Navin, I was blown away with the amount of clients I was working at 101 that were opening up about mental health conditions. Because, of course, doctors are now prescribing exercise, aren't they, to combat anxiety and depression? Absolutely. And in 99.9% of the cases, exercise is one of the best things you can do. Um, you know, it gets, out, gets you out of your body, gets you out of your mind, excuse me, and into your body. Um, you get that release of endorphins, feel-good hormones, and you always leave a training session feeling a lot better than you went into it. So it's um, always, is it always a good thing, exercise then? But for Safra now, that wouldn't work, would it? It's, it's, you know, normally it's something I highly recommend for anyone, no matter what the mental health condition is, is to get some form of exercise. In Safra's situation, it was a little bit different because hers was a health anxiety based. She was worrying about her heart rate and her heart palpitations more than anything else. That right. when she went into that gym atmosphere and she started exercising, that heart rate was just getting increasingly higher and higher and higher. So that was nearly having the reverse effect. Yeah, of course it was. So Rory, yeah. what's, what's your message today for people out there then that might be suffering from anxiety and linking it into social media and looking at everybody's perfect world? My my take-home message um, with regards to social media is if you're following a social media profile and you leave that page and you're not feeling good, if you're feeling negative or you haven't learned something positive, then unfollow and only follow people that are leaving you feeling positive and in a better mood after you look at their content. That's brilliant advice, Rory. That is absolutely very simple, to the point, brilliant advice. Thanks a million for joining me on the line. And will you give our best wishes to Safra for allowing us to share her story, Rory? I will, of course, John. I'm sure it'll help countless other people out there that are suffering. And maybe up until now, they're suffering in silence with this anxiety and all that goes along with it. Absolutely. And that's the other thing that we have to highlight is that all it takes is, you know, just open a dialogue with someone, ask someone if they're okay, put a hand on their shoulder. And you'd be surprised how people are willing to open up once you actually let them know that you're there for them. Exactly. Rory, thanks again and thanks to Safra and congratulations on the baby and best wishes with everything. Thank you, John. Take care. Thank you. Take care. Bye-bye. The Late Lunch with Blackstone Motors. Used car event from the 1st till the 5th of October. Get a finance package that suits your needs on a quality approved Renault or Dacia. With a low deposit and low monthly payments, you could arrive and drive today at Blackstone Motors. Welcome back to the programme now. All this week we're going to be giving away uh, vouchers and it's in conjunction with Athboy Credit Union. There's a voucher giveaway all this week for businesses in Athboy. And today we have a €50 voucher to give away from Cafe Sabrosa in Athboy. Now, as I say, Athboy Credit Union have been serving the community there in Athboy for the last 50 years. And so to celebrate, these vouchers will be given away courtesy of loads of local businesses in Athboy all this week. But today's one comes from Cafe Sabrosa in Athboy. You can go there with your 50 euro voucher, enjoy the delicious food on the menu, maybe have a bit of lunch with family or friends. But to win it, all you have to do is answer this question for me. What is the main ingredient in guacamole? What is the main ingredient in guacamole? The number to text or WhatsApp is 086-1800-658. We're going to take a song now. Here's the Goo Goo Dolls and Iris. The Late Lunch with Blackstone Motors used car event from the 1st until the 5th of October. Tired of high credit union or bank interest rates? Our in-house finance specialist is offering low APR finance and flexible PCP finance options. Drive away with a quality used car and a finance package that suits you at Blackstone Motors. 
Welcome back to Late Lunch. Now, just before the break, we ran a competition for a 50 euro voucher from Cafe Sabrosa in Athboy. This is with thanks to the Athboy Credit Union, who are celebrating 50 years in business in Athboy. Now, the question we asked was, uh, what is the main ingredient in guacamole? Now, we got loads and loads of correct answers, which is, of course, avocados. But our winner of that 50 euro voucher is Helen Carraher. She's in Lobenstown in County Meath. So, Helen, you are the winner today. So you're going to get for yourself a lovely 50 euro voucher from Cafe Sabrosa from Athboy to go off there and have a spot of lunch or whatever you like to do with your friends. So Helen Carraher, Lobenstown in County Meath, you are our winner. Now to our next item, many of us will be familiar with the name Owen O'Growney. Now he was a key figure in the Gaelic revival of the late 19th century. His hometown of Athboy is holding another revival, now this time of his life and works. And on the line we have David Gilroy from the Solstice Art Centre in Navan to tell us more. How are you David? Hello, how, how are you? How are things? Um, it's great, to, it's great to, be, to be on the on the show. It's, it's just a great, I'm not from the Salsa Art Centre, it's just the event itself. Ah, OK, my apologies. Thanks no, no, no problem, no problem. Thanks very much, David, for joining us. So so the name Owen O'Growney, of course, many people will be familiar, but for people who aren't, can, can you tell me a bit about him? Yeah, so Owen O'Growney was born in that boy uh, in 1863, uh, and he died 120 years ago this year, in 1899, um, in America. So uh, over that time, uh, over his lifetime, he, he was very much involved in the in the revival of the Irish language and part of the of the kind of movement that was taking place, the Gaelic revival at the time. Um, so uh, and so what, what he did was he was very he wrote he wrote um, most famous I suppose for for the simple lessons of Irish, which were was a, again, a handbook on how to speak Irish. Um, so what we're trying to do is is just to kind of have a look at his life, his legacy, um, and what we're hoping to do, what we are doing, is that we're putting on an event on the 17th of October in Solstice uh, to kind of just explore his legacy uh, based around language and, and music and dancing and, and singing. So it's, it's a slightly different take on him. So from a very young age, he had a passion for the Irish language. He did. At the time, around in County Meath at the time, there wasn't too many people speaking Irish language. No. Um, and so he, he got a, a, an interest in this through, there's a man called Michael McKenna is attributed with um, with kind of piquing his interest, um, and there's lots of other people locally as well who obviously had an interest, who, who who sparked his interest on it, um, and then he spent the next number of uh, is, is a lot of his adult life kind of researching it and encouraging people to speak it, um, and um, travelled extensively across the country uh, doing that, recording the language and, and putting it together. Ultimately, it, it kind of came together with a simple lesson of Irish, uh, which was a handbook. It was it was about five hundred thousand copies of it printed, uh, you know, so it was a very significant. A publication in a number of different editions and um, unfortunately he, in 1894 he had to go to America because he was sick he went to California for the drier air um, and he died there in 1899 but he left a very significant legacy in, in the States as well particularly in, in New York um, where he would be recognised as the Mead Man in New York when, when the Mead Association are walking on St. Patrick's Day um, you're walking behind the banner of Ono Brownie so you know he has a very significant uh, legacy I suppose it's just it's gathered a little layer of dust so what we're trying to do is just blow that dust off and just get people right. chatting about him again. He was quite young when he died as well, wasn't he? He was. He was 36. He, he accomplished a lot in his short years. He was uh, he was the Dean of Irish in Manus, um and also he was involved in a lot of the Gaelic writings. Um, and of course, he was one of the founding members of the Gaelic League in 1893. So he would have been a peer of Douglas Hyde, of Warwick Pierce, of Owen McNeil, all of these fellows who went on to do to become more more famous, I suppose, in the in the following years. But unfortunately, Owen had died pretty young. Um, uh, but he was certainly part of the movement that led to the, the cultural the cultural context into which a lot of a lot of what happened in the in the subsequent years occurred. 
So, of course, when his health started to fail, then he decided to take the huge trek across across the Atlantic to Arizona and California. That even in those days back in, in what was it, 1894, that was a that was a huge undertaking. I imagine so. It would be akin to maybe going to the moon now. <laughs> but it was, yeah. It was certainly, um, it was before his health, he, he had, uh, the, dry, the dry, dry climate was, was more um, more helpful to his health, I suppose. And there was the hope that he would recover. But unfortunately, he didn't. And he died in 1899. But that wasn't the end of him. Um, so four years later, in 1903, he was repatriated um, through he, he a very long and significant uh, and a return home. He, he went to... Um, he was exhumed and laid in state in Chicago. He was laid in state in New York in St. Patrick's Cathedral. Um, and then he came back to Dublin and there was over 6,000 people at his funeral um, at that time. So it was a very significant, he was a very significant character um, and lots of places across County Meath there. His legacy, I suppose, O'Grandy Terrace and Navan and Gales and we have schools in, in Rathmore and Athoy. You know, so there's, there's lots of kind of suggestions about him and a lot of people obviously active within the, the Irish language movement would know loads about him mm. and lots of historians but you know and he's kind of drifted somewhat from the general consciousness um, and you know it's what we're trying to do this year to mark his 120th anniversary of his death is just to you know do our bit this, just kind of stamp um, you know make a movement on him kind of get people talking about him again for a little while and see what else might turn up um, you know about him because that's what we're trying to do we're trying to look at him as a man and also uh, what his work was involved in, and ultimately his legacy, uh, which is really what we're trying to do here. Yeah. Because, of course, he was a priest as well. He was, yeah, he was a priest. Uh, he studied in Navan, uh, in St. Finns in Navan, so he, and then he went on to Manus. Um, he also he was, he was a, a curate in Ballon de Bracchi for a while as well, so he um, he kind of, he was involved in, in, at the time, like a priest, at the time he was a, kind of a, an active person within society, but um, his primary focus was, was on kind of putting the language back into people's mouths um, and that, that's what it was. He, he, he mm. particular, his, his, manu- his simple lessons Irish had a particular way of doing it. It, it. it gave the Irish translation, the English expression, and also then it gave it phonetic, uh, the, how, the phonetics of how to pronounce it. So he really was active in, the, in getting people to talk Irish, not just writing it or studying it. He, he was trying to get people to talk it. Um, and, you know, you can, make your own, you can make your own judgment on how successful that was. But, um, and this is, this is back in, in late 1800s, so it's yeah. so... You know, this was a time, a different kind of a society, a different kind of country. Which is always the best way to learn a language too, is to immerse yourself in it and speak it. Well, Irish has been for, for as long as Irish has been, it's been primarily an oral language, you know. Um, yeah. it, it, it has, um, it is a massive oral tradition, um, you know, and sometimes it, it kind of got bogged down in the, in the writing the, the, in schools. And the grammar, the, oh my God, David, the grammar. <laughs> Absolutely, I'm, I'm not, I'm not a, a fluent Irish speaker in any way, shape or form. I'm just tremendously interested in it. Yeah. Um, and I'm, t- I'm tremendously interested in the way that it can be, it can be used to express ourselves and maybe it offers a kind of a, an explanation as to why we kind of, we, we think or talk the way we do, even even if it's in English. And certainly an expression through our music and through our songs yeah. uh, and through our dancing. You know, it, it is there. So it, it's important that we have, a, we have a think about it as well. Well, this sounds like it's going to be a great event. Tell me a bit about it, the date. It's on October 17th. Is that right? So it, it's on October 17th, uh, the the. the Day before the anniversary itself, so Granny died on the 18th of October, so it, it's a kind of a nice poignant day to have it. Um, so with Belinda Quirk in Solstice and, Belinda and Tom French in Mead, in Mead Library, they've been tremendously helpful in regard to this with their expertise. Um, so we're putting on a night with uh, Nulani Cohen, who will be present, uh, Moncon McGon, uh, Ian O'Cronin, Tom French, um, Eamon O'Donoghue, lots of different people. Yeah. There's a huge array of people, all tr- and we're celebrating O'Granny's life through music, which is something um, that maybe was, hasn't been done before. Um, and, you know, it's kind of an expression of, of a, about his legacy, I suppose, but also an opportunity just to start thinking about it and talking about 
and, and see where we are with regards to how we look at Irish um, and how we, what we know about it as much as how we talk it. This would actually be a great event for school kids, wouldn't it, to be brought along to this? This would be actually a great event to open people's, open people's minds to it and uh, to learn Irish as well. It would be great for, for schools around the, around the county to get involved. Oh, absolutely. Look, we're, we're, what we're trying to do is to get people to think about things like this. Um, mm. You know, trying to get people to talk about... Uh, you, you, you don't have to talk about Irish in Irish. You can talk about Irish in English if you want. You know, obviously, yeah. there's lots of different things that you can do. And it, it, it's really about thinking about our culture, thinking about who we are as people, and, and kind of start out with a conversation around, um, you know, what it is to be us, you know, and that, that's it's kind of what, what that's really what we're trying to talk about, and maybe start a little bit of, of conversation. Yeah. It, people, people may love it, people may hate it, people may, you know, as long as people have an opinion of it, that's the most important. And as long as you're saying the cupola fuckle, isn't that what's all about? Well, you know, it, it, it's it is it's an attempt certainly to start people thinking about it, um, and you know, it, it's not it's an attempt to you know, just to get people to think about the language. So when Anna Manahar is, is what the event is called, Solstice Theatre Navin, October 17th. David, yeah. thanks a million for chatting to us. The best of luck with the event. Well, thanks, a mi- thanks a million for your time and thanks, thanks for let- having the opportunity. To- Not at all. Thanks well, a million, David. Take thanks, care. Bye-bye. bye-bye. The Late Lunch with Blackstone Motors. You don't have to break the bank to buy quality. The Renault Selection used car event is on from the 1st until the 5th of October with special APR offers, two years warranty and two years roadside assistance on all quality used cars. T's and C's apply. Now, thanks for staying with us on Late Lunch. Now, if you're like me and your houseplants seem to die all the time, well, I might have the very lady on the line to give you a bit of advice about that. Star Smith is passionate about plants and gives courses on growing houseplants. She joins me now with tips for even the worst of us, the worst of us that haven't got green fingers. Star, how are you? I'm good. How are you? Great, thanks. You're originally from Arizona, is that right? That is right, yeah. And how did you end up on this green isle of ours? Well, I have Irish ancestry, as loads of us in America do, um, and I always wanted to come over. So I came over to study for a year. Um, that was 10 years ago. As so many do, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> you came for a year and you stayed for the rest of your life. That's it, yeah. Now, you are up in Donegal, but you do have local connections to us here. So tell us about your, your time in Bechtive Mills. Yeah, um, I was down in Bechtive Mill B&B. Um, lovely little spot on the Boyne River and I was down there for about six months um, helping them put in some organic gardens and um, at mm. the moment, at the time I was there, they were doing um, snail farming for escargot so that was quite different for me, coming from a gardening background snails and slugs aren't usually our oh, friends No they're not, <laughs> we tried to get rid of them and here you yeah. were trying to cultivate them that's right. So that was a very, um, was interesting and opened my eyes to a lot of different things. How did that work out, Star, the snail farm? Is it still going? Do you know? I don't think it is. No, they, there was a problem with it. So they did shut it down. And now they're using the space to grow more veg. Was there much demand for snails in this country? Not in this country, no. Uh, mostly they were being shipped over to France. Over to France. You think they'd have yeah. enough of their own over there in France? <laughs> I know, right? <laughs> I know, yeah. It's, it's, it's such a specialty. I did try them once. Have you eaten them? I have, yeah. With mm-hmm. lots of butter and garlic, anything yeah. tastes good. <laughs> Same here, yeah. Kind of to disguise the, the rubbery feel of them, yeah. Okay. Yeah. Less said. Okay, let's move on. Let's talk about the houseplants. I was having a chat earlier on with Louise, my producer, about houseplants in particular. I can't grow them, Star. I I'm tried unsuccessfully about 10 times to keep a basil plant alive in my kitchen. No, 
Absolutely. Well, they fail well, every firstly, time. Well, a basil is one of the hardest things to grow in Ireland. Oh, thank God, it's not me. <laughs> so, okay. so it's not just you. I struggle to get them get them growing here, even in polytunnels. So. Oh, thank God, it's not just... Well, <laughs> you see, I give, I've given up. I, I've start, I was saying to Louise, I started to grow these little cactus things, these little succulents yeah. that you just have to water once a month. That's that's it now. I've given up on anything that's leafy and <laughs> yeah, really I have. So what tell me a little bit about the common mistakes we make in this country. We we go off to a garden centre, we buy this beautiful house plant and what do we do wrong? Well, firstly, you need to just really know the plant. So go home and do a quick Google on the name of the plant and that'll give you all the needs of the plant. Every plant likes something different. So Make sure it's getting the proper amount of sun, water, and you should be okay. <laughs> right. That's the biggest the biggest mistake I see is I walk into a friend's house and they have a plant that really shouldn't be in full sun sitting right in the window and it's getting burnt to death. And then they'll have another plant in the shady window that needs the full sun. So it's really about finding the right location in your house, having the right temperatures and and then really just trying to get the watering right, which is quite difficult. It is. It yeah, yeah, it really <laughs> is. And you see these beautiful plants. I always feel like in the garden centres, I, I nearly feel guilty because I feel like saying to the plant, come on home with me and you can die. <laughs> Would you like to come home to my house and die? Because that's basically what the poor plants do when I take them home. So we must be, is it just a simple case of just not reading the little card that comes with them, just bringing them home and just leaving them there? Yeah, I think most people really struggle with watering their plants. Um, And unfortunately, there is no set rule. So a plant may need three times as much water in the summer than it does in the winter. So you really just have to kind of look and know the signs. If you see the leaves are starting to wilt on your plant and droop down, give it a, a quick water and it should perk back up. So the opposite mm-hmm. now is if you're overwatering it, the plant is going to get look really yellow and... Um, There'll be no life left to it. It'll start to yellow, but not dry yellowing, like a damp yellowing of the leaves. Yeah. And if that happens, you're giving it too much water and just let it go for a little while. Okay. And and I mean, I've tried everything with my, moving them around, moving them from this room to that room, to a corner, to a window. It's basically just getting the knowledge of the plant, isn't it? But are some plants yeah. fussier than others? Absolutely. There are some plants that will almost tolerate anything. So um, a jade plant... Cressula ovata is a great plant. It's super easy. It'll take almost any kind of light um, and it doesn't need a whole lot of water. What is that so, one again, Star? It's called a jade plant jade. Or, the money, or the money tree plant. Oh, okay. I've heard of that, yeah. 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 Okay, I'm but just making a note of The botanical name is uh, Cressula ovata. Okay. All right, and yeah. that's easy? It's very easy. Then there's um, spider plants as well. Um, they are so easy. They don't like a whole lot of really bright light, but other than that, they'll grow nearly anywhere and they put off a load of little babies all the time so you can get new ones from it. Oh, okay. All right. So for indoors in Ireland, where we don't get an awful lot of sun and, you know, it's a very damp atmosphere a lot of the time, what would you recommend for people that, you know, don't have a lot of time and just like the house to look nice and nice plants in the corner? What's the easiest thing, do you think, to grow? Honestly, I think the spider plant is one of the easiest things for anybody to grow. It's the first, when I have a friend who doesn't know how to grow plants, I give them one of those. 
<laughs> and they and they are very hard to kill. So, <laughs> <laughs> all right, okay. Do you want to give one to me, and we'll see. I do. Yeah, come back to me in a few. Bring me in an old spider plant there, and come back to me in a while, and see how the poor thing is doing. So we're we're coming into. Unfortunately, I hate the winter time, but we're coming into it now. But and I have a pot of um, beautiful three different coloured geraniums outside my back door, which it did really, really, really well all summer. Beautiful. Yeah. I don't know, is it dying off now for the winter? Or how do we know when something's dying off or, or if we've killed it? Well, it is the kind of the time of year now the stuff will be starting to fade. Um, you can always, if you pinch back the flowers after they're done blooming, the flower heads, just give them a little pinch off. Mm. That'll pro- help promote new growth. Um, the geraniums will suffer with a cold winter. So a lot of times coming into, I would leave mine out now until probably mid to late October and then I'd put them just in my shed and it just gives them a little bit extra protection for the winter and you can move them back out then in the in the spring and they'll come back out. Star, you've got a very lovely Donegal lilt coming into your <laughs> Arizona accent there. I just, know, it comes out. Sometimes no. you'll hear a bit of Dublin in there. So. <laughs> oh, there's a lovely little wee Donegal lilt coming in there. Oh, it's lovely. So tell me what your favourite plant is, Star. What What is your absolute favourite? And it doesn't have, it, like it can be easy to grow, difficult to grow, but what is your favourite one? I just love orchids. I just think there are so many different varieties and they're just all so beautiful. Um, they are my favourite, even though they are a little bit harder now, to grow. <laughs> now you're talking. I do have an orchid, would you believe? There you go. I mean, you've kept it alive, have you? Well, it was, it, was, it was looking fairly miserable. There was nothing on it. It was just a stick. And I brought it to a friend of mine who's fantastic and she has revived it. She's oh, brought it back it. to life. But the worst thing she did was she gave it back to me. And she said, no, leave it in the window water it once a month it'll be grand now there's about yep. five or six little buds on it oh lovely it's like I don't know I'm afraid of my life that after all her work <laughs> I'm just going to kill it again what do you tell us about orchids they're beautiful they are absolutely stunning um, the most the easiest one to grow is the common one the phalaenopsis orchid it's the one you see in most of the shops um, you know the white and the, mm. the white and the pink kind of a flat flower uh, on it um, that is probably the easiest. They don't like a lot of water, but they do like a misting. So I have a few that I just mist kind of every day, and I probably only water them maybe every three to four weeks. So they don't need a whole lot of water. They they naturally grow in, like, branches of trees. So they usually absorb most of their water from the air. Okay. All right. Yeah. Brilliant tips, brilliant hints. We should all go out there, probably have more house plants in the house. They're very good for the environment, very good for our health. Star Smith, a pleasure to talk to you this afternoon. Thanks a million. Thank you. Take Bye care. Bye bye. The Late Lunch with Blackstone Motors. Used car event from the 1st till the 5th of October. Get a finance package that suits your needs on a quality approved Renault or Dacia. With a low deposit and low monthly payments, you could arrive and drive today at Blackstone Motors. And you're welcome back to Late Lunch. Now, just before news and sport there, we ran a competition. For old time's sake, the farewell tour will be coming to the Knightsbrook Hotel in Trim on the 12th of December. Now, we had a pair of tickets to give away to the show. These tickets will allow you to go in, enjoy the show and have a lovely dinner for two, as I say, on the 12th of December. So maybe a lovely uh, early Christmas present. The question we asked you was what famous movie starring Mel Gibson was filmed in Trim? The answer there, of course, is Braveheart. And congratulations go to Imelda Fogarty in Abbey. 
Barbie Lands in Navin. Imelda, you are the lucky winner there. So, of course, everyone knows the movie was Braveheart. Uh, it was filmed in trim there around the castle. Imelda, you'll be going along to the Knightsbrook on December 12th with a friend of yours for dinner and, of course, that lovely show, The Farewell Tour, starring Dickie Rock. Now, our next item, there was some good news for the town of RD this morning when a 17th century chalice, which had been stolen, would you believe, over 21 years ago, was recovered. Joining me on the line now to tell me about the great news is Reverend Canon Joyce Moore. Good afternoon. Good afternoon. How are you? I'm very pleased. You must very, be very absolutely delighted. Yeah, we're thrilled because um, it's a, ch- a chalice that was, as I say, stolen 21 years ago. And it's from um, a church in Cullen, which is under repair at the moment. There's a, a, a wonderful ceiling modelled on King's College, Cambridge, in the church. And not the parishioners, but the people all around Cullen, when they heard that the, that the church was ceiling was going to collapse and the church was going to be closed, rallied round, raised enough money to repair the roof and the ceiling, and that work is going on. So now we have the chalice, and the ceiling, and it's absolutely wonderful news. Take me back, can you, to 1998 when the when the chalice was stolen? What what happened? Well, I wasn't actually curate in the parish at the time. It was before my my time. I think there was a vacancy, and um, the silver wasn't very well cared for. It wasn't very carefully kept because in 1998, people didn't fuss too much about such things. Mm. And somebody suggested that the silver ought to be put into a safe. So it was put into a safe. And of course, the inevitable happened. The whole safe was taken. Of course. Now, the safe was found, of course, later that year in Tala. But of course, it, it, was. Was, it, it was empty. There was other, other things in the safe as well, weren't there? There were a number of books, but they were they recovered? There, there were books. There were church records, which are absolutely priceless. Um, and some young lads, I understand, found them and they thought they were holy books and they brought them to their local parish priest who recognised what they were and only for his imagination and diligence we wouldn't have had them back. So this this lovely chalice, tell me a bit about it. How old is it? It's dated the gift of Mrs Foster to the Church of Cullen, 1765. So it actually predates the church. The church was built in 1813. But um, there was a church on the site before that. So it predates the church. It's solid silver. It's George III silver. So it's good stuff. It Um, sure is. George III silver. Yeah. And it was um, valued between three and five thousand in the auction rooms. And speaking of auction rooms, that's how it was discovered. Isn't that right? Yes, somebody, um, somebody, um, a, a, a Cullen person, um, happened to be looking at the auction site and saw this. And because this person was so interested in all things historical, knew that uh, churches rarely, well, closed churches might sell their silver, but ones that are open certainly don't. And it was advertised so, for sale openly on an auction site. Open. Now, the auction room has been superb. They've acted absolutely honestly throughout. There's no, no, nothing can be said against them. They've, they've been marvellous. The minute they thought there was a question about it, they took it, they took it down. And do we know where it's been for all these years, for 21 years? 
That is something we would love to know. We've no idea where it's been. And who was it that gave it in to the auction to sell it? Do well, we again, you see, if if whoever stole it put it into a second-hand shop or something, it could have gone from hand to hand to hand to hand. I mean, this could be the the 13th or 14th or 15th person to, mm. to handle it. And again, you can't impute blame to them. And to look at it, and I have a picture of it here in front of me, it's a very simple chalice. You would not know to look at it that it was worth that amount of money unless you had a keen eye or you had an interest. Yeah, and, and it's worth that because it's a chalice and because it's engraved. Um, silver is not worth an awful lot no. nowadays, I don't no. think. I think if they take your silver teapot and melt it down, they'll only get buttons for it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But you, you don't have it back in your possession yet? No, we don't. As, as far as I know, the Gardaí still... And the Gardaí were absolutely superb. I mean, they're overworked. And they took a huge amount of trouble because it was discovered on Wednesday and up for sale on Thursday at one. So they had to act very promptly, and they did. They were great. And do you know, you've seen a photograph of it, of what condition it's in. Is there any damage to it? No, it seems to be perfect. Oh, wow, that's amazing. When do you yeah. hope to have it back then? Oh, well, uh, mm. that's a good question. I don't know. Yeah. I don't know. And I mean, we've done without it for 21 years, yeah. so we'll, we'll live another few days. But the Gardaí are now appealing for anybody that might have any information on uh, where it's been for the last 21 years. Oh, yes, I think they're, I think they're yeah. um, pursuing they're, it, yes. Yeah, yeah, you can. Well, if anybody knows anything about this, you can contact any Garda station or specifically RD Garda station. And yes. I have the number for RD. It's 041 if you have any information at all about where this chase has been for the last 21 years. So for now, we're delighted and it's it's great oh, news. Yes. It's wonderful. Absolutely wonderful. Absolutely yeah, great news. And, and you'll have it back soon, I'm sure. But for oh, now, so. Reverend Canon Joyce Moore, thank you very, very much for taking the time out to chat to us on Late and Lunch I this hope, afternoon. I hope the first time we use it for celebration of communion, we'll have lots of people coming along to join in the celebration. Absolutely. Absolutely. Great news. It's lovely to have a good news story. Isn't it? That's great. Thank Thanks you very, very much. much. Take care. Bye-bye. Bye-bye. The Late Lunch with Blackstone Motors used car event from the 1st till the 5th of October. Get a finance package that suits your needs on a quality approved Renault or Dacia. With a low deposit and low monthly payments, you could arrive and drive today at Blackstone Motors. Now you're all very welcome back to Late Lunch. Now youth workers in County Meath are appealing for people to gift them a premises large enough for a central base to provide services for over a thousand kids right across the county. But what's this all about? Well Kay McCabe is the coordinator of Involve Youth Project in Meath and Geraldine Hogarty is the Regional Director of Youth Work Ireland and they both join me now on the line. You both there girls? Yeah, hi, how are you? Hi, how are you? If I can start with UK, can you tell me a bit about this appeal? What are you looking for? Well, it, it, we're, we're trying to highlight really to the, the town of Navan in particular um, that how much we're lacking in a proper adequate facility. Like there's nearly 9,000 young people in Navan between the ages of five and six, and they fall into the our, our remit of youth work. Okay, I'm sorry. Um, your your line is really, really bad. Can I try Geraldine? Geraldine, can yeah. you can you just pick up there for me for just a second, just to see um, if your line is any better? If not, we'll give Kay a call back. But just tell me a little bit about what you're looking for, Geraldine. Yes, no problem. So myself and uh, Youth Work Ireland Meads and Involve are starting this um, quest to 
try and secure um, a multi-purpose youth space for the county. And the majority of our work uh, is that we're based in Navan, but um, between the two organisations, we provide services for young people all around the county. So our call is to um, local businesses, landowners, anybody out there who can help us in securing or even sponsoring a, a premises for us um, somewhere in the county where we can open what we would like to know as um, a, a youth hub um, in relation to being able to integrate all young people to different services and to some fun activities as well. It's not all about um, too much learning, but a space for young people to be safe. So presumably this needs to be in, in an urban area or in a town or place where, where people can walk to. Not not somewhere out in the countryside. Not somewhere. Unfortunately, not somewhere out in the out in the, count, the county side. Um, it does need to be accessible. It does need to be on a bus route. Uh, a number of our young people in both organisations um, would come from rural areas, but they're attending our programmes um, after school because you know they might be waiting around to get a bus home, mm. or they have organised for mum and dad to come and pick them up rather than go home back to, um, say, Oldcastle or Beliver and then try and get back into the centre space. Kay, I think I have you back on the line. Are you there? I am here, yeah. Oh, that's ten times better. That's brilliant. (laughs) So uh, you're looking for one one central hub, uh, as we say. Why why is it not working the way it is at the minute? Well, at the moment, we're using um, buildings and uh, community centres and we have use of rooms, which is great. But we can't so much as leave up our health and safety statements or the young people if they make any artwork or anything like that. We have to take them down every night. So as such, it's not a place where the young people can call their, their home or their space. So it's not adequate. I have another building over in Trim, which is a proper youth centre. And the difference in the quality of work I can deliver between Navin and Trim is day and night. We have our own space. We have our own walls. We have our own garden. You know, so... The, the difference in work and quality of work that we can deliver is, is really important. Of course. And, and what kind of issues are you dealing with and how many youngsters w- would you be dealing with as well? well um, I, I specialise in working with young people from the travelling community and we, we'd work with about 120 to 140 young people a week between our two youth clubs in Navan and Trent. Like Navan is the fourth youngest town in, in Ireland. Um, it has a population that is re- youth population that's really high. 30% of our population is under mm. the age of 25. So, um, like, ideally, there is 9,000 young people living in Navin that myself and Jera could reach out to and work with. We're if you had a place. If we had a proper, adequate space. Like, we're the lowest funded um, youth service um, in, in the whole country. We're the lowest funded county. Myself and Jera run the only two um, DCYA funded youth services in County Mead. And it, it, I just I think people need, we need to highlight this fact. I don't actually think people are aware of how limited our resources are and how limited our space is. Like people can call out antisocial behaviour and they can very quickly point to all the issues that go on in the town. But I think people really need to be aware of how limited um, our work and our capacity to work is. And you're trying to help... You're, and Geraldine, if I can hop back to you for a second, you're trying to help so many kids and young people. We won't, They don't like to be called kids, I'm sure, but mm-hmm. t- teenagers, let's say, youngsters. And, but children as young as 12 years of age. And, and what kind of services do you offer and what kind of problems are you seeing them come in with? 
Well, the service that we can offer, um, we offer our service to 8 to 25-year-olds. So it's a wide range um, of age of young people. And some of the services that we offer um, involve youth, youth Participation Day. So that's an annual Youth Participation Day, which we've been running for the last number of years. And that's an opportunity for students and young people to come together to voice their needs um, uh, of, of what they would like to see in their county and for them as young people. And we would usually have representatives from the, the, uh, the, the local authorities there. Uh, so that's all. That's an ongoing um, event which young people wait for every year. We have two LGBT groups um, which we hold here in in our youth centre, um, and on average we would have probably about between thirty and forty young people attending those two groups on a weekly basis. Some of those young people actually coming from outside of the county, so maybe coming from Cavan or Westmead. We also have a group of young people who we call Youthquakes. So they are the older teens who have come up through the organisation as youth participants and now uh, guide the organisation in basically into the future of what a young person would need as, as, uh, as from an organisation. So it's a safe place for teenagers to go. It's also a place where they can hang out with their friends and they can feel safe and they can uh, presumably do some type of activities or or chat to somebody if something's worrying them. So it's a vitally important service, really. Absolutely, absolutely. And our um, downfall with our youth space that we have here in the town is that we can't uh, accommodate a lot of young people um, at one time. One of the things that um, Youthquake found last year when they were doing a, doing a bit of research on youth facilities um, was the fact that in our space here, we can only accommodate one group at a time. So if, say, for instance, if the music group was in, we couldn't have an LGBT group on at the same time or mm. we couldn't have um, a young person come in and speak on a one-to-one basis with, uh, with one of our trained leaders. So, so what is it you need then? What it, because I have, to, I have to wrap this up in the next couple of minutes. So yeah. put the call out there, um, Kay and Geraldine. What is it that you need? Well, we need a large, adequate space that can be a multi-purpose space. Like at the moment for ourselves and involved me, we, we're, we're full, we're to capacity, we have a waiting list. And no one wants to turn a young person away on a Monday night when they walk up the stairs to say, actually, for health and safety reasons, you can't be in here because I've no more space. So we're, we're looking for um, a building that either needs to be done up or, um, if, if possible, to build a new building that would be even better again because purpose-built buildings, especially in the line of youth work, are, are much better. We're willing to share. Myself and Jer are very nice people. We're even willing to share two separate organisations and um, to, to look for a space that young people just so much look forward to going to and, and have that safe environment to, okay. to be in. Okay. Okay. And where can people contact you, Kay? Because I'm running over. We just need to, to get a contact um, number out well, there. Well, we're on Facebook. We're involved in Youth Project Mead and there is on Facebook as well, Youth Work Ireland Mead. Okay. So if, if you Google us, you, you'll find, you'll find okay. any of our information um, there available. So. Okay. Kay McCabe, Geraldine Hogarty, the best of luck, ladies, and thanks a million for joining us on Late Lunch. Thanks for having me. Thank you. Well, that's it this afternoon. Thanks to all my guests and, of course, you, the listener. As always, my ever-patient producer, Louise. Until tomorrow afternoon, take care of each other. Bye-bye. The Late Lunch with Blackstone Motors. You don't have to break the bank to buy quality. The Renault Selection used car event is on from the 1st until the 5th of October with special APR offers, two years warranty and two years roadside assistance on all quality used cars. T's and C's apply. 
If you thought the only way to get a more defined jawline with natural-looking results was through surgery, think again. Juvederm Volux XC is a non-surgical injectable gel filler that improves moderate to severe loss of jawline definition and can help you achieve natural-looking results with little downtime. Even better, this improved definition lasts up to one year with optimal treatment. No maintenance required. Improve jawline definition for a smooth, sculpted look with Juvederm Volux XC. For important safety information and to find a licensed specialist, visit Juvederm.com. That's J-U-V-E-D-E-R-M.com. Not for people with severe allergic reactions, allergies to lidocaine, or the proteins used in Juvederm. Common side effects include injection site redness, swelling, pain, tenderness, firmness, lumps, bumps, bruising, discoloration, or itching. There's a risk of unintentional injection into a blood vessel, which can cause vision abnormalities, blindness, stroke, temporary scabs, or scarring. Talk to a licensed specialist to find out if it's right for you. Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds, and I'm here with Keith, co-star of my upcoming film, If, only in theaters May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news? All right, I'll do it. Sign up now, and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. MintMobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45, equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply, if rated PG. Many of us have those stubborn pounds that seem impossible to lose, no matter how good we eat or how hard we work out. My solution is Plush Care. Plush Care is a leading telehealth provider with doctors who are there for you day and night to partner with you in your weight loss journey. They can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wagovi and Zepbound for those who qualify. Plus, they accept most insurance plans. To get started, visit plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. Hey, it's Danny Pellegrino from Everything Iconic. Ready to upgrade your style game without blowing your budget? Check out Quince. They've got all the good stuff, shirts and polos, activewear and fine leather goods, all at 50 to 80% less than other high-end brands. And the best part? They're all about safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get that luxury vibe without the luxury price tag. Hit up quince.com slash upgrade for free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. That's quince.com slash upgrade. 